Love Talk Radio. Hey, it's 3 p.m. on November 5th, and you are listening to Journey into Passion with me, Anika S. on Everyday Folks Radio. Welcome to your weekly encouragement and inspiration hour, where information is provided to help you as you go on your journey towards your passion. Please visit my blog at anikamadison.com for more information on my work, see posts that I hope will inspire and encourage you, find out where I am on my own journey, and get information on upcoming shows under the About Me category. I also have a new Facebook page, and you can find it at www.facebook slash journey into passion with a Nikkei S, all one word. Thank you to Troop number 347 of the Girl Scouts of Tropical Florida. Thank you for talking to Nerissa, Shanette, and myself on our last show. These young ladies were so impressive, I will be spotlighting them next week. Please visit the, the Facebook page to find out more about these incredible young ladies and the work that they are doing. Congratulations to the Chicago Cubs for winning the World Series after the last win 108 years ago. I'm not in the baseball fan, but I just had to mention this incredible win. Congratulations to the players and all the fans who never lost hope for their favorite team. This is one of those never-give-up-hope stories that has a happy ending. Congratulations. Happy birthday to my boy, Demetrius Williams. I hope that you are having a wonderful birthday weekend. Shout out to the members of the South Florida Writers Association. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you enjoy the show. If you're a writer and live in the South Florida area, the next meeting will be on November the 12th in the main library on 101 West Flagler Street in downtown Miami. For more information, go to their website, at www.SouthFloridaWritersAssociation.org. Special shout-out to Dr. Steve Leibowitz, Beverly Malacy Haig. Thank you once again for being guest on my show. And to Mort Leitner, I look forward to having you on next week. Thank you to all the members of this wonderful organization for embracing me and this show. I truly appreciate your support. Well, it's finally here. Tuesday, November 8th is election day. By my next broadcast, we may actually know who's president of the United States, and this crazy election will finally be over. Now, I voted in the early elections, but if you decided to vote on Tuesday, please go to USA.gov and click on voting and elections to review the candidates and, your polling, and find your polling location. I encourage you to go to the link, decide who to vote for, and review the sample ballots before you go because there, there might be some language that's tricky, so it's good to have the information before you go to the ballot. And when you choose, choose somebody who's ready to do the job and will represent the things that are most important to you. I know I keep saying this, but I can't emphasize that, I can't emphasize that more. And also, get out and vote. Make your voice heard and cast your vote. November 8th is it, folks. Let's get out and vote. And now for my grateful moment, I'm so honored to have the Vice Mayor of Cutler Bay, Florida, Mr. Ernie Soshin, on the show today. As you know, I like to talk to people that are inspiring and can provide you with helpful information and make a difference. 
You will find out that Mr. Soshin is all these things and more. If you would like to speak to him or myself during today's show, please call 347-539-5372 or send an email to NikkeiPassionJourney at gmail.com and I'll read your question and comment towards the end of today's show. All right, so let's get started. Mr. Soshin, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate you. All right, let's just jump right in. Okay. I'd like to get I'd like to begin with getting to know more about you. Now I read that you are a Dale Carnegie graduate as well as a former instructor. Right. Please tell us about these these online courses and the subject that you taught. Well, the first time I became familiar with it, I had a friend who was extremely bashful. We belonged to a local club, and when it was his turn to get up and read or speak, he just couldn't do it. And uh, so he took a Dale Carnegie course, and all of a sudden he became one of our greatest orators. And I said, you know, this sounds like something that I would be interested in. Uh, I took the course. I learned a great deal by it, and I enjoyed it so much that they made me an instructor from them on. Uh, from there on, the the big advantage to it is that there are so many people that just put them in front of a group and they just absolutely freeze. And this Dale Carnegie course will get that out of your system. Okay. So you taught you taught people speaking how to speak. I and taught people how to speak and how to get up in front of a group and answer questions and so on. And um, for the most part, I was pretty successful. Uh, one of the big advantages I noticed in running for office over the many years, when I had debates with other people who didn't have that training, I found myself far far ahead. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I am sure you did. Now you were once a radio talk show host on WIOD. W-I-N-Z, W-F-T-L, and W-S-B-H. Yeah. Now, what was, your show, what was your show about and how long were you a host? Generally nonsense. I just love talking to people, <laughs> as you'll learn. And I would throw a topic out and, and just see what happens. And sometimes I'd throw something out there and I'd get the most incredible response. Uh, one of them I remember uh, put it throwing out there is what happens to the uh, – what what happens to to the stuff that I'm I'm trying to bring the words up again because I'm not accustomed to this. But anyway, uh, it, it was what happens to the I'll think of it as I go along. And and what can we do about it? And it was, it was taken from a TV movie that I saw at one time, and um, people began to wonder, gosh, what what is he talking about? And before I knew it, the phones were ringing off the hook with people with various suggestions. Oh, uh, now I remember it. What happens to the socks that disappear from the dryer? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but almost everyone that has ever washed a load of clothes will find a sock missing when they finally start to empty the thing. And I brought that topic up, and, and we were on, I think, for four hours that day. I never gave the phone number out once. The phone lines were lit up all the time, and the people that called were, were funnier than I could have imagined. One person said they're all communist socks, because you notice it's always the left <laughs> one that disappears. Someone else says they're runaway socks, because you see them by the side of the road. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe all how clever some of my listeners were. But that was one of the things I did. I did others. Uh, I had a fellow who was a, I, I went to acting school with. That's something else I did. And he had a tremendous Italian dialect. So I introduced him as uh, Franco Fettuccini and said that he was growing his own spaghetti in Italy and going to market it here in the U.S. 
And, of course, we talked about how much better fresh-grown spaghetti was than the stuff you buy in those little plastic boxes. You won't believe it, but we talked for hours, and people calling up and wanted to know where they could buy it, and we told them it was $230 a pound. They didn't care. They wanted real spaghetti grown in Italy. <laughs> Just think about it. You know? And then wow. I had... Those, I did serious stuff once in a while. I made a lot of enemies. Uh, I'm very anti-gun, as you may have heard. And but once you start on that topic, boy, the phone lit up with everyone calling me a communist and everything else. But I, just reading the paper every day, I feel that we need much better control over what's going on with weaponry. But, uh, you know, that's just me and a few others. Yeah. So yeah. I I did some awesome. serious stuff, some nonsense, but uh, between them all, I absolutely loved doing it because I got to meet and talk to so many interesting people. Wow. Now, what advice do you have for me as as a as a host going forward? Well, first of all, you sound great. I listened to your introduction. Everything was really great. Uh, I used to do a lot of interviews. The station, especially WIOD, got me some pretty famous people to sit down and interview. And what I did was I never interviewed them. I just chatted with them. And when you start chatting up these famous people, all their true stuff comes out. And and I had a wonderful, wonderful time. I had Phyllis Diller, for example, one time. And she was just fascinating just to sit down and talk to. And so that's, that's one of the things I do with guests. When I don't have guests, I just read the paper. And there's enough stuff in the paper every day to get enough people calling up I don't know if you noticed in the past few days some of the stuff. Uh, uh, there was this woman that was having some kind of vaginal surgery, and she let some methane gas loose and set the whole thing on fire and burned the lamps and oh, dead. And goodness. I mean, you just don't read about those things. And then I read about some woman that was arrested because she was using popsicle sticks to straighten out a man's penis. And, and then when they found out she was doing that, she got You can't make stuff like this up. It's in the newspaper every day. Any one of those would would, uh, be enough for a talk show for at least a couple of hours. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Now, you also appeared on TV. Um, What what, did you do when you were on local day TV? It was a local, it was Dade County TV, and um, we had, uh, some of it, again, was nonsense. Uh, Like one of them I did, uh, I introduced myself as a candidate for the presidency. And uh, I had, you know, the the Secret Service guys behind me with the microphones. But instead of running for president, I was running for dictator. And I figured if if they elect, yeah, well, if they elect me as dictator, think how much money we would save with with Congress and the Senate and all that nonsense. I would just run things myself, wouldn't need a Supreme Court anymore. I would just make all the decisions. And uh, I I made a very sincere pitch with it. I think some people bought into it. And maybe right now it might be a good idea again, the way this election is. But that was one of the things I did. Uh, Another one I did was... uh, you're going to think I'm really nuts. I, I was trying to figure out how to save a lot of money on gas in this country. So I had a, one of those puzzle maps of the United States, and I pulled out all the middle states and just pushed them together east and west, and I reduced about 4,000 miles. So anyone going from, like, Boston to Los Angeles will only take about two hours. And I said, what a oh, great wow. idea. I said, yeah, I said, nobody lives in these, uh, you know, middle states anyway. We have a flyover Minnesota. Right. Or, uh, if you look down, there's nothing there. I said, they're, they're taking up so much space and there's no one living there. So why don't we just sell those states to Japan? They'd love to have them and make our own country smaller. 
Well, now you—I'm sure you people listening to who is this crazy guy she's talking to. But that—that's how I kept the show as interesting as I could. Yeah. Now, Beverly, Beverly Malaysi, of course, um, people, my listeners will remember that uh, I interviewed her before, and she right. said you were great to interview, and you're absolutely hilarious, and I can see why. It's worth too funny. Yeah, I have a lot I of fun. I, do, I I love talking to people. I love making up crazy stuff. And every once in a while, I get pretty damn serious, too, as you can imagine. But uh, I'm looking at some of the questions that you have on here about what got me into politics and so on. (laughs) What got me into it is uh, our town incorporated separately. It used to be just a little (laughs) suburb of Dade County in Florida. And we decided to draw our own boundaries and make our own town. And uh, we, we did. And then, of course, we had to have people to run it. So... Uh, some of my friends and neighbors said, Ernie, you got to do it, you got to do it. I really didn't want to, but they said, we, re- we need you, we need you. So I did run for office, and uh, I have been serving for 10 years. As a matter of fact, my term is up uh, on Election Day because uh, we have term limits, and you're only allowed so many terms, and I had enough. And I'll, I'll kind of enjoy a break away from it. <laughs> but it was yeah. an awful lot of hard work. I mean, people don't realize. They think you just go to a meeting once a month. I wish it were that simple. Uh, I was going to meetings. Uh, I went to one last night, even though I'm, I'm past my, my meeting time, uh, because we have committees and subcommittees and, and workshops. There's always something going on that you have to attend. And to do the job really right, you have to devote a lot of time to it, and that's exactly what I did. Now, what area is Cutler Bay, Florida? From what from what point to what point? Uh, if you know the other towns, there, there is uh, Palmetto Bay, and uh, right below Palmetto Bay is Cutler Bay, and right below Cutler Bay, it becomes the unincorporated areas of Goulds and so on. Uh, there's another town called Pinecrest, which is north of Palmetto Bay. Uh, all of these are along a strip south, about 10, 15 miles south of the University of Miami. And it's it's kind of interesting because people in the past, if they had a problem with a bump in their road or their sidewalk was broken, they would have to go downtown to the county commission and hope that somebody would hear them and, and lucky if they could get downtown and so on. And now they just pick up the phone, Ernie, can you take care of this for me? And most cases I do. And if they don't pick up the phone, they come knocking at my door as well. <laughs> So there's good and bad to it, but uh, to do the job right and be accessible to the people requires a lot of effort. Right, right. Now, what are some of your duties as vice mayor? Well, first of all, we have meetings once a month. Uh, my, the, 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 what makes my job different than the others is that uh, when the mayor is not available, which she can't possibly be available for everything, I become the mayor temporarily. Other than that, I just have one vote on the council like everyone else and get to express my views just like anyone else and, and vote and try to influence people any way I can. But there's no specific outline that says, as a vice mayor, you must do such and such. Right, right. Now, as far as getting into politics, um, I know that you've mentioned that people asked you, um, you said, we, we need you, we need you, but what made you actually say yes? Uh, I guess my my natural inclination, when people say we need you, I usually respond with, okay, what do I have to do? 
And, and I knew this town was brand new, and I knew it needed some leadership and guidance, and I thought I would fit the bill. I had no idea when I said yes what I was letting myself in for. Uh, running a political campaign, for any of you who haven't done it, is a horrendous amount of work, and it's very costly. You have to have signs made. You have to send uh, cards out and letters out and go around door to door, knocking on doors, trying to get people to vote for you. It was It was exhausting. But uh, it was very gratifying when you finally got elected. I mean, I just, the election before this last one was also a presidential election. And mm-hmm. if you remember the crowds at the voting polls, it was just oh, tremendous. Yes. And it was great for me because I was able to go to each of the voting polls, walk up and down the line of thousands of people, introduce myself and ask them what questions they had about the town or what they, what, what they thought I should be doing. It was the best interview time I ever had in my life. And I also got, I believe, the highest number of votes from any of the small communities that anyone had ever got. I was so gratified with that, and uh, it, it, it made me happy to this day. Our town, by the way, just to give you an idea, has 47,000 residents now. When I initially moved here, there were 9,000, so it'll give you some idea of what the growth is. And uh, one of the... What do you think? The, go ahead. And I was going to say, what do you contribute to that growth? Well, the number one, we happen to have a great town. We have one of the best school systems of any of the small towns. We have one of the best park systems of any of the small towns. And we also have affordable houses. And when I say affordable, uh, a young couple cannot move to uh, Pinecrest and buy a $2 million home right after they get married. They're usually looking for houses in the two hundred dollars to $300,000 range. And our town has a lot of those, and we're building more of them. So it's a beautiful place, an affordable place to live. Our roads are magnificent. We just resurfaced and redid our main road, which is Caribbean Boulevard. We, the old Cutler Road has been completely changed since we took over. So it's a, if I were not living here now, I would want to move here. Now, you've been living there since 1968 with your right. wife, Rhoda. Right. And so what... And you were just describing some of the, the great things, but personally, what do you love about living in this area? Well, one of the things up until this last week when I had a bicycle accident, I love bicycle riding around. It's just a beautiful place to see. Everything is somewhat convenient. The people are nice, awful lot of nice people living here. And uh, we, we moved here quite by accident. When we came to Miami, we had no idea where we were going to live. And uh, my wife went around looking for places to rent, of which there were very few. We found a place to rent in this little area called Whispering Pines. We rented. We loved it. And then we saw a house nearby that was for sale, and that's why we bought it, and that, that's what got us to live here. Okay. Now, as you're leaving the office, um, what do you hope? What do you hope that your predecessor um, continues on that you have that you have, you have done since you've been in office? Well, uh, my 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 successor, I don't know. I, I, I we we have we're at odds on a lot of things. I love to see growth in the town. I want I, mm-hmm. several people wanted to build small restaurants and shopping centers and things and. Unfortunately, many of the people in this town are totally, totally against any any form of growth whatsoever. So I, I think my leaving is going to change the balance on the council quite a bit. But if somebody came to me with a plan and said, "Look, this you've got nine acres of land, and I want to put a a, a hotel here, a small hotel, and a restaurant and offices that people can work in," I think it's a wonderful idea. 
they they claim a lot of people, oh, it'll bring traffic, it'll bring cars. Yes, it will, but it'll also bring taxes, and it'll bring places for people to work that won't have to drive 30 miles to their office every day. So I don't think anyone's going to pick up where I left off, but uh, I'm yeah. hoping they won't go too far from my, my goals. Mm-hmm. And what what is um, some of the main issues that? Um, and by the way, um, the mayor is Peggy Bell. You wanted to mention Peggy that. Bell, right? What are, yeah. What are the, the main issues that you are that you all have been dealing with um, in recent in recent times? I've got to say what I was just discussing. Uh, what I hear from everybody all the time is traffic, traffic, and it is. You come down Old Cutler Road and there's cars, and no matter what time you go, you're going to be stuck in traffic. And the best thing I can tell these people is it's going to get worse. I mean, you're not going to get less traffic. You're going to get more. Some of the politicians mistakenly tell everyone, don't worry because we're going to have rapid transit, and that will eliminate the traffic. Uh, I am one that doesn't believe in that at all. I think people are going to use their cars, whether the, whether we make it easier for them or not. Uh, the kids have to be driven to school. Uh, not The rapid transit doesn't go where everybody works or where everybody lives. So even though it may take a few cars off the road, it is not going to make a difference. And just like the people in New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles, it's something that we're just going to have to get used to. If you have to go someplace, plan an extra half hour because you're going to be sitting in traffic before you get there. Absolutely. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Journey into Passion with me, Amy K.S., on Everyday Folks Radio. Today, I'm interviewing the Vice Mayor of Cutler Bay, Florida, Mr. Ernie Socian. If you have any, if you'd like to have, if you have any questions for Mr. Socian or, Socian or myself during today's show, please call 347-539-5372 or send an email to Journey at gmail.com. Now, I also read that you're an amateur historian and supporter right. of the National World War II Museum, as well as a lifetime member and colonel of the Commemorative Air Force. Right. What made you concentrate your area, your efforts in these well, areas? It's it's funny because I grew up as a child in that era. I was born in 1936, and the war started in 1941. And as a child, that's all you heard about or talked about was the war. Every family that I know of had somebody, a brother, a cousin, or a father that was in in the war somewhere risking their lives. Uh, We used to have little flags that we put in the window. If you had somebody serving in the military, you'd hang this blue star in your window. If you had lost someone, you would have a gold star in your window. Uh, it's, It's crazy, but one of my friends had a gold star, and I was always envious of him because people noticed the gold star much more than they did the blue stars. But it was such an unusual time of growing up, and that's what got me to write my book, because kids today have no concept of what it was like then. Uh, when my mother went to buy food, she had to have what called saving stamps, not saving stamps, food stamps, because they were. Uh, one of them would say uh, you were entitled to so much meat each week and so much milk and so many eggs, and you couldn't just go into the store and buy what you wanted. Uh, and, and we had gas rationing. If you owned an automobile, you had a sticker that had said A, B, C, or D, which would tell you how often you could fill your car up and and uh, how much you could buy. Uh, things were a little... Women couldn't get nylon stockings. I know that's going to be shocking, but women could not buy nylon stockings because nylon stockings were used for parachutes in the military, so there was an absolute ban on anything being made out of nylon. And, and this is the way we lived. We didn't think much about it. It was just the way we used to have air raid alerts where 
all of the uh, you had to shut all the lights off in and around your house so that everything was totally dark just on the on the assumption that some either the Germans or the Japanese would come over and bomb one night. Of course it never happened to us, but we had to be prepared. So I, I just oh. took a fa- fascinating interest in it. Every kid my age back then could look up in the sky and name every airplane. That's a P-51, that's a P-40, that's a, a P-38. We knew them all. And then when this Confederate Air Force came about, where they actually keep them and flying in different locations and put on shows, I, I felt like I had to be a part of it. And I was lucky enough to fly in the nose of a B-17, one of the famous bombers from uh, World War II. I, I flew in an AT-6 training plane with a moving window so I could open it up as we flew over. I mean, I, it just it was an exciting time to be a kid, let me tell you that. It was very exciting, even though it was wartime. To kids, it was, it was yeah. fun. And I, I still maintain it. I have a room at home called my war room where I have models of virtually every plane that ever flew during the war and every tank that ever moved, you know, almost everything. Uh, You could go through a whole historical tour of my room, and I could explain exactly what took place during virtually every battle in the war. Wow. Now, you mentioned a book. What is is the name of your book? Oh, my my book is called When When I Was Your Age. It's my first book. I've already started the second one. And the the reason I wrote the book, I think I mentioned uh, to you at one time, that uh, as vice mayor, I was frequently asked to come speak at various schools, and I'd talk about different things. And while I was talking to these kids, I see them sitting there with their iPhones and iPads, and I began thinking, what would it have been like back in the 1940s when I was in school, to have an iPad. It would be the most unbelievable, incredible thing in the world. And these kids are all sitting down, using them and playing with them. So I thought, gee, it might be a good idea to write a book so that, number one, the older people like myself can identify with it, and the younger people can realize just how lucky they are to have all of this stuff. Um, One of the things I did with the class after you know, when I introduced myself, I'd ask them, have any of you ever seen a typewriter? And they all look at each other, and what the heck is that? And I describe what it is. It's a little keyboard, and you type on it, and then whatever you type prints up on a little piece of paper right in front of you. They thought that was the most marvelous thing in the world. You don't need a computer. You don't need printers. It's all right there. And then I tell them, if you made a mistake, you you had a little bottle of white ink, you could just uh, paint over the mistake and retype it. They thought, my God, that's got to be incredible. So I realized that there was enough material there for me to write a whole book, and that's what I did. It's called When I Was Your Age. It's available on Amazon and and, uh, Kindle and so on. And I cover a whole bunch of different topics based on the same idea. Beverly, by the way, loved the book. She just thought that it was so much fun. One of the other things I I do when I give my talks on the book, I bring with me an old-fashioned telephone, the kind you plug into the wall, and I and oh, I yeah. set it, I set it so that it rings like a real phone. And then when it rings, I pick it up and make believe I'm talking to Donald Trump or something. And, and they're looking <laughs> at me, is this guy crazy? I say, well, this is the way we used to make phone calls. And when I explain to them that when we had a phone as a kid, um, you couldn't just pick up the phone and call someone because most people like myself had what was called a four-party line. 
you shared one telephone line with four neighbors or people in your area, and most times when you want to make a call, one of them was on the phone. So you would have to get on there and say, could I please use the line? I have an important call to make and so on. And, and, and that was it. We knew some people that had what was called a private line. Well, that was like having a Mercedes-Benz. I mean, nobody had a private line back then. So that that kind of amazes them, too. And here they are again, sitting with their iPhones, where they can send movies and videos to people all over the world, and it doesn't cost them anything, and they just push a couple of buttons. <laughs> so you can see why writing this book, I I felt almost compelled to do it. Absolutely. I, this must be a fascinating book. I can't wait to get this. When I was your age. Okay. Yeah, when I was your age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think awesome. you'll enjoy it. Uh, I, I talk about travel, you know, what it was like traveling in planes back then. Oh, I, I talk about cameras. I bring with me, you know, I'm sure you're too young to even remember these, but <clears throat> there was a thing called the Brownie Box Camera. It was a small camera, it's about six inches cube. And um, I, everybody had one because they were small. And I tell the kids, this is this was so great, you could actually put it in your suitcase and take it with you. And they, they And then I said, the the pictures were stored on a thing called film that after you took the pictures, you send it to Rochester, New York, and they develop it and send it back to you, and you could keep them. And, the, and then I showed how you could do selfies with it, too, and they just uh, they thought I was a genius because I had this camera that used film. So the book is, is just full of little ex, little bits like that, and, and I, I, everyone that I know that has read it has absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I, I love writing it, and I hope people will love reading it. Oh, I'm sure they will. And I will definitely be mentioning this on, on my social media. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, I, I love reading that you visit local schools to speak to uh, students about their futures. I, I enjoyed right. my time. Dr. Dr. Billy Jones, the creator of Everyday Folks Radio, invited me out to his uh, school in Broward right. County to speak to his students, and I loved it. And so when you speak to their students, what kind of conversations do you have with them? Well, uh, most times I'm called to speak on what they call career day, like uh, what are these kids going to do when they get out of school. And I try to implant in them different ideas than what they hear most of the time. I said, I ask them, for example, what do they consider success? Well, success is a lot of money, big home, nice car. I said, well, that's all nice too. But to me, success is looking in the mirror seeing yourself and being very proud of what you see and having people refer to your good character. And I dwell on the word character, I said, because to me, someone that has good character is very successful. And and if you can hold your head up and face people and not be embarrassed by what you've done or what you've said, uh, I, I, to me, that would be success. And the rest of it will come. But, you know, you don't need a 15-room a mansion to live in. You can have a little house like I have with a, uh, an office and a kitchen and a place to sleep. Uh, you don't need a big, giant car that, that costs, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because the little car that I have takes me wherever I have to go with, in comfort and, and keeps me out of the rain. So I, I try to get that across to the kids because a lot of these kids will probably never achieve what what, what they think others have. Uh, going to college is another thing. You know, the, right now the emphasis on all these kids is you've got to go to college, and they do, and a lot of them go to college, and then they come out and they can't find a job. 
And one of the things I can tell them is that there are a lot of jobs out there, but not necessarily for college graduates. Try and get an air conditioner repairman to come to your house or someone to fix your car. And no one that I know of is going to uh, mechanical schools or automotive schools to learn these things. Instead, they're learning English literature and all that, which is good. But I think that there has to be the, the fields have to be opened up to others. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me on that, but uh, that's what I'd love. That's one of the things I try to get across. Yeah. Now I know a lot of. I'm personally an entrepreneur, and I know a lot of others who are entrepreneurs. And since you brought that up, I thought you might be a great person to ask um, because, like you said, there's things are cha- things are changing. And um, if you had to give advice to entrepreneurs that are just trying to find their way, what, what kind of advice would you give? I, I would advise them to concentrate on what they like doing. I mean, if, if somebody likes messing with automobiles, then he ought to think about becoming an auto mechanic. If, if he likes numbers, and I don't know how many people do, uh, if you like numbers, then think about a course in accounting. If you like uh, uh, growing products, you might uh, growing food, you might want to think about being a farmer, but choose something that you like doing and you'll more than likely be successful at it. If you just go into something because you saw a want ad and, oh, I'll go get a job in a department store and be bored out of your mind, uh, don't do it. If you love talking to people and selling stuff to people, it could be the greatest thing in the world to go to work in a store and sell products. I mean, that's one of the things I did growing up and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every single minute of it to the point where I actually went and I opened four retail stores here in Miami. And uh, I loved every minute except the product that I was selling soon fell out of style to the point where my, my the license plates on my car say Stereo 1 and Stereo 2. And when people see that, they say, what is stereo? <laughs> they don't even know the word anymore. And uh, that's that, that's what I made my living, was, was selling uh, stereo uh, both as a retailer and as for a major manufacturer. But now you don't even hear people use that word. So it's. Um, yeah. But I, I did do what I liked doing. Yeah. And you've been involved, a bit, uh, sort of being in po- involved in politics, you meet so many different people and you've done you know so many different things. And so when you when you think about, um, I'm sure you've met business owners and, and different entrepreneurs. When you when you look at them, what kind of mistakes do you think that they they make as business owners and entrepreneurs? Oh, as entrepreneurs, as I see a lot of mistakes being made every day. It's uh, um, one of the things is false advertising. Uh, I see so much of that, you know, the, the, and I. I wish that people would have a little more integrity when they're advertising and selling a product. You know, it's it's not just, oh, well, how much can I get out of this guy and then go on to the next customer. You've got to stand behind it. And that, that's on the sales end of it. As far as the rest of it, uh, you've got to have a passion for it. And most people that I meet lately don't seem to have that passion for what they're doing. And if you can tell if they do. You can uh, uh oh. <laughs> shut my phone up. How about that? <laughs> Let me shut that Uh-oh. off again. You know, I I keep forgetting. I'm so used to that sound. I click it here, and my friend Marty, who just called me in, and probably because I, I mentioned his name in my recent article. <laughs> he, okay. My friend Marty <laughs> called me and asked me why the the standard bird for the United States is the is the eagle when actually we use uh-huh. chickens much more. <laughs> 
And I said, you know, you're right, Marty, because uh, no Jewish mother ever gave her child eagle soup when they were sick. They'd give him chicken soup whenever anyone's well. they give him chicken soup. So I could have sworn I'd Uh-oh, shut that off. Back again. There it is. No, it's off. Uh, so I went on and I said, you know, did anyone ever go out and order uh, eagle eagle legs and beer or something? So so the more I thought about it, the chicken really should be our national bird. <laughs> that's right, that's my right. crazy head. That's so, so all you have to do is prompt me and, and I start writing. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> okay. Now this month I decided on the series Know Who You Are. I feel like okay. knowing who you are is so important, especially when you pursue yeah. your passions, which, of course, is what my show is about. Yeah. At what point in your own life did you discover who you truly are? Uh, I'm trying to think. I think when I became a father, because suddenly uh, you realize that, that everything that you do and say is being transmitted to another person, and they're going to try to emulate what you do. Uh, I was very fortunate, and and I had one of the greatest fathers in the world. He was born, and this is going to amaze you, he was born in 1888. And in 1880, and I I came along after my parents had been married 26 years. So my father was from like a different era. And we used to spend hours and hours walking and talking together. And can you imagine living with a a living history book? He would tell me how... uh, when he saw his first automobile, how exciting it was. And he never believed that man would ever fly. And then all of a sudden there came airplanes. And uh, and I, I, I would just love spending hours talking with him. And then I did the same thing with my children and hoping that some of the things I'll say will stick. And, and I have a grand, two or three grandkids now, which is even better because they're at the age where they uh, want to hear Grandpa talk. And just I'll give you a small example. I went for a bike ride with my grandson, who was about 10 or 11 at the time. And uh, out of nowhere, we're sitting down having lunch, and he says, Papa, how did the world get started? Well, that's not an easy thing to talk to a 10-year-old about. So I, I gave him, number one, the Big Bang Theory, and then number two, the Religious Theory. And I told him there are some people that believe both, and uh, you must be respectful of either one. I said, and you have to make up your own mind. And then the next time we went for a bike ride, he asked me how the first man came to be. And I gave him the same explanation. I gave him, you know, the the Adam and Eve story and how the fish crawled out of the water and became a man. And as we're riding our bicycles home about an hour later, he says, Papa, you know what? I said, well, I like the monkey story better. So, so he, you know, and I, 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 that's the kind of influence, and I think that that's one of the greatest feelings in the world when you have your own offspring, your own flesh and blood that you can talk to and, and, and have them look up to you with respect and admiration. I just love it, and, and that that probably one of the things that kind of turned my life around a bit. Of course, being married also has a huge, huge effect on it. I have a wife who happens to be absolutely brilliant. I hate it, but she's brilliant. And, um, and whenever, I, whenever I can't remember something or do something, I call her, and it's just right at the tip of her tongue. And she's a, a great wife and a great mother, and that also makes a big difference because I know so many people that don't have that advantage, and I, I think that's a great advantage in my life. Mm, that's awesome. So, how, how many children do you have? Two. Uh, one of them, I'm very happy. She she went to uh, uh, University of Florida, graduated in a degree in marketing, and called me about oh maybe a year later. Said, Dad, I think I want to become a lawyer. 
I, I said, well, go for it. He says, no, but I won't have the money. And so I said, look, if you can get into law school, whatever I have to do to keep you there, I will do. She went to law school, graduated number one in her class at that huge school, uh, went to work for one of the biggest law firms in Florida, uh, and then opened her own practice about two years ago. So I am so super, super proud of her. And my son was always a very avid tennis player growing up, and uh, he was able to play well enough to get a, a scholarship to Florida State and played there for several years and did a lot of training. Now he owns his own gym in Miami, and uh, he still does training but more on a broader basis. His gym is wow. called, by the way, Club X, which is an, an unusual name that he came up with, uh, and I think it's great, except... <laughs> I asked him one time, what happens if a guy comes home and tells his wife he was at Club X? <laughs> Just think of it. But anyway, it's been working out well for him. And, and I, I couldn't be more proud of my life when I'm together with my kids, and they're both successful, and they both live close by, by the way, which makes it even more of a benefit for me. That is awesome. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Journey into Passion with me, Anika S., on Everyday Folks Radio. Today, I'm interviewing the Vice Mayor of Cutler Bay, Mr. Ernie Soshin. If you'd like to speak to Mr. Soshin or myself during today's show, please call 347-539-5372 or send an email to anikapassionjourney at gmail.com. All right, so I have an email from Capri Johnson in Atlanta, Georgia. And the email says, in your current or past position, have you ever had the opportunity to help employees realize their dream or help them discover a talent or skill, a skill set that they didn't know they had? That's uh, an interesting question because uh, at the town level with the people I meet, uh, they've usually reached whatever goal they want. As far as the kids in school, yes. Uh, specific answers I can't give because I haven't been following the paths of these kids. But I have a a gut feeling inside that it's making a little difference in some of their lives. Awesome. Awesome. Now, follow-up question. Do Do you know or have ever had employees participate in personal development programs conducted by the city? If not, how do you think that will help them on their personal or professional level? I think it would be a good idea, but uh, the city, to my knowledge, doesn't offer anything like that. On occasion, uh, I have given meetings to our own town staff because, you know, I'd hear complaints about people when they come in to get a permit or something, they're not treated right. And I gathered them all together, and um, I I told them that what you are is not not a clerk or a manager. You are a, a salesperson, and you've got to sell the town to these people. When somebody comes in to see you, you've got to be as nice and cooperative and efficient as you possibly can because you are the face of the town. A lot of people don't realize that. They sit behind a desk, and they're rude and nasty. So I, I think we've made some big changes that way. I even, I'm on the board of several hospitals nearby, and one of them, all I heard about was complaints. People would go there and they wouldn't get the attention that they deserved. So I offered my time to take all of their staff 
and teach them just how important it is to treat people properly because, yes, they had jobs as nurses and assistants, and, and they, they're difficult to fire a nurse in a hospital. But by the same token, people come in there, they expect and, and deserve certain treatment, and they don't get it. And I said, you are the face of this hospital, and if you don't do a good job, eventually the hospital will close and you won't have jobs at all. So I, I, I enjoy doing that because it, it brings it home to a lot of people. And uh, I keep I get asked for how did I start doing this when I was working for a manufacturer uh, that made the stereo equipment uh, I would be invited to go to the various department store chains and so on and teach the people on the floor how to sell because that that's a real art in itself and I would tell them that you know how do you get the person interested in what you're doing and how do you handle the customer that says well my wife won't let me buy it and so on i said that there are ways around all of these things and especially when they come in with their wife i said there's little clues that you can ingratiate yourself to these people i've i've always done it and and i try to get them to do it and i i've been thanked by a lot of people for the training that i gave them as far as selling their hospital number one or their retail store number two, whatever they happen to be doing, because you're always selling. Your whole life is selling as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, that's so important, especially in, in business, because, of course, you're selling yourself. You're selling what you're doing. And exactly. so somebody somebody who's just starting out um, with, with with their business and they're, they're trying to get people to – to to listen to them to to believe in them, what kind of tips do you would you give them? Well, uh, num- number one, they've got to go out of their way to treat people nicely because if you're treated badly, uh, like I mean, I think I forget there's a formula, but if you treat somebody badly. A hundred people will find out. If you treat somebody really nice, maybe three or four. But you don't want those hundred people out there talking about you. So you've got to really put your emphasis on treating people nicely and just hope and pray that they will tell a few of their good friends, hey, this is a nice place to do business. I mean, think of it yourself. You go to a store every day, somebody's nice to you, you say thank you, and you go home. If someone treats you really badly, keeps you waiting, what's the first thing you do? I never go to that place again because I had to wait in line, and then when I got there, the clerk was rude and so on. And they'll tell that story over and over and over again. So you absolutely want to make sure that you you eliminate those and only get the people, the good people, to hopefully talk about your business. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so Daniel from Georgia asks, do you have any further aspirations in politics, or is once you're done with this office, you're done? <laughs> well, <laughs> luckily my wife is in another room, but uh, I get called <laughs> all the time by people, when are you going to run for mayor? Why don't you run for mayor? Why don't you run for mayor? Well, uh, to tell you the truth, Annika, I'm 80 years old now. And uh, even though they say 81 is the new 80, at 82, I don't think I'm going to be anxious to take on all the responsibility of being a mayor of a town. Uh, I won't rule it out because if there's nobody else that steps up to the plate, I might almost be forced into doing it. But uh, frankly, I, I want to get going on my next book, which, by the way, will be the next, the title of the next book will be When, when You Are My Age because... <laughs> I, I found out that once once I turned 80, I was totally not prepared for all of the changes in your life. And it, and it happens like almost all of a sudden. Uh, number one, my memory is, is not what it used to be. <laughs> I have a terrible time with people's names, uh, which isn't too good in politics. Uh, 
when I when I go to conventions and so on, I, I bought a little badge that says I don't remember your name either. <laughs> People get a kick out of it. But but uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that 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 I keep in mind when I when I think about these things. So that's number one in my memory. Physically, uh, I used to you know go brush the pool and sweep the driveway and do all that stuff and then sit home and watch television. Now I do something like that and I'm totally exhausted. I wasn't prepared for this. Nobody warned me, hey, when you turn this age, uh, you won't be able to do this anymore. You won't be able to do that anymore. I used to ride every day on my 30, 40 miles on my bike. Now if I do 10 miles, I consider it a good a good day's ride. But, um, again, I, I want to prepare people because not that many people are reaching into the 80s. And once they do, your whole life really, really changes physically, mentally, and every other way. Wow. So let's, let's, I'm, I'm going to ask you my, what I call my Oprah question. Go ahead. And I, I think this is going to be interesting. Considering where you are right now and all that you've accomplished, when you talk to that child of the, the the time that you were talking about earlier, what advice would you give him when, like, if you just, if you could just talk to that little boy and you say, what, what advice could you give, could you give that little boy to, you know, just considering where you are right now? Well, I I, I of course I spent a lot of time talking to them. Just that in itself is something because a lot of grandparents and parents don't do that, and uh, I when I bring them into my war room. And on my, in my war room, I have a plaque with all of the money that my parents used when they came from Russia across Europe and so on. So I have rubles and marks and, and sterlings and so on. And I use that as kind of a little history lesson that my, my grandparents, my parents were born in what they called a Russian shtetl. It was like a little shack in a little town and uh, how they grew to get here and then the result of them being here allowed me to grow and so they have to think of themselves as having a huge advantage over me or my parents and hopefully their kids will be even better but they've got to pass this on and keep the family bonds that's one of the things that I've always considered very important is my relationship with brothers and sisters and and, uh, aunts I just spent a weekend with my niece from New York came down spent a couple of days and we, we had a wonderful time uh, I, family is vitally, vitally important, and, and a lot of people lose this. They don't realize how important it is to have uh, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. I grew up where everyone, all my brothers, well, of course, they're all passed on now, but uh, all of my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles all lived probably within 10 minutes of where we were, and we would get together frequently, and they were wonderful times. Now people are scattered all over the country. They don't get to get together, and they don't even care about it sometimes. So that's one of the things that I talk. I talk to kids about a lot of things. They, 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 more often than not, they'll say, Grandpa, you already told us that. That's another one of the aging <laughs> things. I don't remember what I told them last week, but they get really annoyed if I start repeating it over and over again. But I tend to do that. Now, if you can believe it, we are down to the last 10 minutes of our show, and I just want to oh. let our listeners know that if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to send an email to anikaypassionjourney at gmail.com. If we don't reach your uh, email during the show, don't worry about it. I will make sure that the uh, emails do get to Mr. Soshin, and I will post the answers on my social media. Oh, great. I hope yeah, you, you will. Have... Because, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love will. doing that. You have had an incredible life's journey. Do you have any regrets? 
Uh, you know something that when I think about it, not really. I don't think there are too many things I would have done differently. I've had some incredible experiences. Are you there? Yeah, I am. We we have been just being greeted by an air an airplane. That's what it sounded like, like but, an airplane oh, flying through your living room. Yeah. But I, yeah. uh, I, I, no, I really don't. I've done some uh, having my own radio show was to me a big deal. I never got rich doing it, but I loved it. Uh, writing my own newspaper column, I don't get anything for it, but I, I enjoy doing it. Writing these books, I'll probably never even pay cover the publishing cost. But to me, that's a great feeling. And then let me tell you what I did about two years ago that a lot of people would love to do. I jumped out of an airplane at 2,000 feet. Uh, 20,000 feet, wow. rather. And uh, only because I happened to be the vice mayor, and they said, here, come on down to Homestead. We're going to take you up in a plane and throw you out the door. And they did. And, it, I, and physically and mentally, it was one of the most exciting days of my life. I mean, you can only imagine what it's like flying through the air and having another guy flying next to you and asking you to shake hands. And I did, and he spun me around. And then when I looked down, there was a great big... Um, rainbow and one of the clouds and the guy that i was strapped to said would you like to go through that i said yeah and he maneuvered us and we dropped right down through the rainbow i mean you you can't even dream about things like that so pretty exciting that is that is incredible wow yeah. what was going and only because i was in office if i was just off yeah. the street i don't think they would have offered it to me but that was one of the big benefits wow. that i got what was going through your uh, mind as you were as you were going out of the airplane? Well, first of all, they open this big door, and you stand there, and my guide says to me, don't hold on to the door or the top or anything. So it's kind of a weird feeling to be standing out in the open looking looking down at nothing. And uh, he said to me, uh, "When I, I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, we're going to jump. And I, he said, one, two, and then he pushed me out the door. <laughs> And all of a sudden, there I am flying through space. It, it was, I, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it was totally exhilarating. And would I do it again? In a minute. I wouldn't hesitate. A lot of people said, you're crazy. I wouldn't do that. But how can you How can you not, when you're offered an opportunity like that, how can you? And it was with the uh, Golden Knights, the famous uh, Army parachute team. So I felt very safe in their hands. Wow, that's incredible. One question I forgot to ask you is, did you serve in the Air Force? Uh, I, I, when I was young, the war was just about getting over. I was a little kid. I did get drafted when I was older, and I served uh, you know, in peacetime, but I never got to actually go over and kill Germans or Japs or anything. So uh, it, was, it was a short term, but it was a valuable experience, too. If you, if you have not been in the military, it's something that uh, perhaps you should do. You learn a lot by it, and, uh, and uh, I, I, was, I was a tank commander. I was given my own personal tank, <laughs> which is <laughs> a little crazy, oh, okay. but uh, that means that you've got to take it home and wash it every night. Not at home, but take it back to barracks and wash it every night. But no, I was not a combat soldier. And in a way, I kind of uh, regret it because I'd, I'd have so many more stories to tell if I were. But still, I thank you for your service. That's, well, you, you still have incredible stories. 
Yeah, I, I did. I got an honorable discharge and everything else, which was nice. And uh, I'd like to have been a little more value to the country, but I wasn't. But uh, when I look on the guys that were, when I read the war stories about Iwo Jima and, and, and the Normandy invasion, and so And by the way, I've traveled all over the world to see these places. I spent an entire day on the Normandy beaches just trying to imagine what it was like for those guys running across that sand with thousands of bullets being fired at them. Uh, I visited the concentration camps, which, if you've never done, is something that you really have to to get to grasp some idea of what it might have been like for these people that were put on these boxcar trains and taken to a place knowing that they were going to die there. I mean, what? How can you even imagine that? So these are things that that uh, I, I've had the opportunity to do when I went to Japan and Singapore and all those places and saw what it was like, and it was it was just. I don't know. There's so many things for me to see, to see and observe. I wish I was younger and could do even more of it. Oh. Uh, you have led an incredible, incredible life, and, and I'm sure you have. You probably have about ten more books in you. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the next incredible. one, I, you know, now that I'm out of office, I can really concentrate on it because I really haven't had time to sit down and think of new ideas. And, uh, you know, I write this newspaper column that's every two weeks, and it's, it's not easy to come up with something new for I don't know how many years I've been doing it, uh, every two weeks. And that's why when my friend mentioned about the the chicken being the national bird instead of the uh, eagle, I, I immediately jumped <laughs> on that because those are things that I need ideas like that. And if you have any, by the way, call me and give them to me because I need stuff okay. to write about. Now, where can we find this new newspaper column? Oh, it's unfortunately it's not the New York Times or anything, but it is uh, in, in Cutler Bay. There's a newspaper called Cutler Bay News, and in Palmetto Bay, it's the Palmetto Bay News, and the, it's published by Community Newspapers. What they do is they publish newspapers for all the little towns around. So you know, between the numbers of people in the two towns, I get a lot of exposure. I would much, I would love to be in some major newspaper or magazine, but all I've ever gotten from them is rejection notices. So. I keep trying, though. <laughs> you got to keep trying. Hey, look, who knows yeah. who's listening to you right now? I may get a call from yeah. from New York Times and say, I heard you on, on with Annika, and uh, we want you to write a column for our paper, and we're going to give you a half a million dollars a year to do it. But who knows? <laughs> wow. If you get that call, let me know, because I would love to know Believe about it. Believe <laughs> me, I will. You, you will be given due credit. <laughs> You you and Beverly <laughs> Malazzi, too. By the way, Beverly is one of the sweetest people I've known. Uh, she does a terrific Absolutely. job of writing those children's books, and uh, she's just great. And I and she's the one, I guess, introduced me to you to begin with, so yes. uh, I have to thank yes. her as well. Yes, thank you so much, Beverly. And we had a great interview, and I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that she was on the show. Oh, and yeah. So here we are, down to the last two minutes and 42 seconds. And I would like to know if you have any final thoughts. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm looking through some of the notes that you sent me. You asked about the League of Cities, which is an interesting thing that I go to several conventions a year. And what I love about it is I get to meet people from other towns that have totally different views of what it's like to be an official. I, I sat with a couple of people that were so excited, and I said, what are you excited about? Well, we just got our first traffic light. Their population is like 500, but they're still a town, and they have uh, elected officials and so on. So that's one of the things I enjoy doing. Um, 
what may oh, the Colonel or the Confederate Air Force, I think, uh, com- commemorative Air Force. It used to be called the Confederate Air Force, and then they decided that wasn't nice, so they they changed it. Um, well, I'm looking over. You sent me a lot of things here. Um, yeah, I wish we can go through all of them. Unfortunately, we are down to our last one minute and 43 seconds. And Boy, so the time goes by I, fast when you're having fun. And no, it really does. It really does. And I just want to thank you so much once again for coming coming on the show today. It has been a thrill talking to you. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much and, for your time. Annika, thank you for having me. And hopefully in the future you'll call me again. Maybe after the election we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> I oh, could go yeah. on for hours about that. <laughs> Yeah, I've got an article coming out in the newspaper this week. I just hope all my predictions are right or I'm going to look awfully foolish. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. I I stick my neck out there once in a while. But anyway, uh, keep me in mind if something or if a particular topic comes up that you think I might be interested in, I'll be glad to spend time with you and your listeners, and thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, well, you have been listening to Journey into Passion with me, Anike S. on Everyday Folks Radio. I have been talking to Mr. Ernie Soshin, the Vice Mayor of Cutler Bay, Florida. And I want to thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to tune in to our show. Now, don't forget, reset your clocks before you go to bed tonight because we are ending Daylight Savings Time. Enjoy the extra hour of sleep. I have been so blessed to have been um, able to meet and talk to wonderful people who are inspiring and who have encouraged me in my life. I'm going to be quoting these wonderful people, including Mr. Soshin. And so, but I'm going to start with my own quote. And my own quote is simply this. When you invest in others, God will invest in you. Until next time, this is Anika S. Hoping you have a great day. Thank you.